This is Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio. Welcome to the Inspire Radio podcast. This podcast is an opportunity to listen again to one of the many inspirational and thought-provoking interviews first broadcast on Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio brings you inspirational interviews, news of events, workshops and seminars, plus great music too. Online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, Inspire Radio is your truly feel-good radio station. For more information and to listen to Inspire Radio, why don't you check out inspireradio.co.uk. Check out our Facebook page too, where we've got details of events on there. Our Facebook page is at Inspire Radio UK. Now sit back and enjoy this Inspire Radio podcast. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Hello and welcome to Inspired Conversations with me, Ruth Owen. Today, my guest is Alice Edgecombe-Rendell. Now, Alice started her own tea and coffee business way back in the mid-80s. And since then, she has grown her company to quite a sizable, well, well, what's your turnover? Can I can I ask you oh, that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hello, Ruth. I would well, we're probably going to be um hitting about 1.3 million this year. So we've hit that golden sort of ledge, which is to get to the million, which is a key milestone for any small business. Absolutely. Well, it's incredible because tell us how you started. What what brought you into the tea and coffee business in the first place? Well, I mean, surprisingly, I didn't have any plans to do tea and coffee. I was uh, a language graduate and I joined the advertising world, loved it, Uh, then started to have children. So I suddenly had two jobs and I realized that advertising wasn't going to suit me. Now, this was actually my family, my husband's family business in the sense that his father had set the business up when he returned from India as a tea company. Um, he was then getting to retirement age and didn't really want to take it on. So he sort of persuaded us to, you know, take it on. And from there, really, we slowly, I slowly got involved by, you know, as my staff were, sorry, beg your pardon, as the company was getting busier and busier, I would do more and more hours. So it was almost like I sort of jumped in and the water started getting hotter and hotter. I certainly didn't have any plans to run my own business. It was more just a case of it was there. Uh, I was struggling with trying to manage children and working for another company. So this seemed a very sensible option. And it sort of fell into place for you as well, because it was located actually where you lived at the time. Yeah, and that makes such a huge difference. I think now in this pandemic, everyone's beginning to realise just how, you know, self-defeating long journeys for commuting are. But that was the key thing for me as a young mother to be able to just literally walk into my office across the way from, from our house was a game changer. You know, it meant that I was still had, as it were, two feet, a foot in either camp, which I think when you're a working mother is really crucial. They do say that you're as happy as your unhappiest child. And that certainly is true when you're trying to run a business. You cannot focus on the important part of the business when you are worried about a child. You just can't do it. Uh, you have to be able to put the two together. And by not having to travel long distances, that was absolutely crucial for me. Wonderful. And did you know anything about tea and coffee when you started? 
No, I didn't. I think probably like all of us when we were at university, I just drank instant coffee and tea bags. And of course, <laughs> yeah. back in the, you know, back in the eighties, that's all we had. Speciality coffee didn't exist. Uh, you know, so I just learned as I went along and we started off as a distributor. So we were buying in coffee and then selling it on. We then realized that it was so interesting, the whole process of coffee and making that we bought a small roaster and started from there. So learning on the job was without question what I did. Um, my husband is a tea taster. He's a qualified tea taster. And he was the one who injected the passion, I think. And, and that word passion, of course, it's very hackneyed and overused. But if you're not passionate about your business and what you're doing, it's hard enough to run a business. But to set a business up and kick it up a gear, you have to have that passion. So his passion was very, very uh, contagious. So we all found that as he would come to us and say, I've got this wonderful tea, you must taste it. You slowly start to get involved in it and, and start to realize that it's actually a product that is, it, it totally takes over one's life after a while when you're interested enough in it. Well, I know you, you personally, you travel with a teapot. <laughs> oh yes my secret teapot I completely do I, I mean I just cannot bear to have tea bags I, there are lots of reasons which I won't bore you with other than sustainability but tea just tastes so much nicer when it's loose so you can go to most you know places in the world and generally you can't necessarily guarantee a decent cup of tea or a teapot so I always take my own with me and it's it's amazing how it brings conversations. I'll go down into the hotel lobby and start demanding, you know, hot water and hot water means a lot of different things to a lot of different countries. Oh, yes, know. it does. Um, yeah, It's got to be boiling. So, yeah, that's that's always very interesting. And how did you progress from being a distributor of tea and coffee to actually getting your own roaster and roasting your own beans? Well, I think what we did was start small and, and really that's got to be the best way. It's so easy to bite off more than you can chew and then end up, you know, walking away, nursing your wounds and thinking, I'll never do that again. So we bought a very tiny little roaster. It was almost like a tabletop roaster. And Chris, my husband, just started playing around with it. This wasn't his real job. He was doing something else, but he'd come home in the evenings and start playing around with it. We bought a few green beans and started tasting it. Um, realized that actually the taste of freshly roasted coffee was just infinitely better than ready ground packaged coffee. Having said that, that would have been about 30 years ago. And really, the market wasn't ready for, you know, what I would call speciality coffee. We still, I don't think we had Starbucks. We didn't, I think Coffee Republic were one of the first to start up as a sort of special coffee shop. But mostly it was some horrible sort of uh, black liquid lurking on the back shelf of a cafe um, and a tea bag plonked in your cup. So, yes, it was a slow business. And then slowly we realized that this was actually people were saying, can we have some of your lovely, no, I don't want that. Can we have that lovely coffee that we tried that we saw you roasting? And it got to the stage where we realized that we needed to buy a larger roaster. And it went from, you know, a sort of a tiny two kilo to a five kilo to a 10 kilo. Now, when I say 10 kilo, it means that it will roast 10 kilos of coffee in a batch. Right. So we're now, we've got a 15 kilo roaster, which is capable of roasting about half a ton of coffee a day. And um, we're just about to take delivery, really excitingly, of a 30 kilo roaster, which will be a bit of a game changer for us, simply in terms of volume. 
Wow, that's amazing. And so all of this is on your premises in, in West Sussex? It is. And I think we're looking at what I call the experience economy, where people want to come along and experience something as well as buy it. So what they call the sort of clicks and mortar is so important. So while we are fully aligned with our website and we have a strong online presence, we have this wonderful roastery where people can come along, they can see the coffee being roasted there's full transparency so you know we can talk about the coffee that we've just roasted and explain where it's come from and it's just, just that experience that people feel that they're buying into not just a product but a story and you know the the authenticity of something that's literally being produced in front of them is incredibly powerful I mean, it's amazing. You have coffees from all over the place, like Malawi. I didn't even know Malawi grew coffee and Uganda and uh, extraordinary places. How do you find the places to buy your coffee beans from? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to our innate interest in the certain countries that we want to go to. So, I mean, I was uh, a language graduate, so I speak Spanish. So to me, Central South America is an absolute given. Uh, my husband was brought up in India and speaks fluent Hindi. So to him, going to Assam or Darjeeling makes complete sense. Um, Africa, of course, is a different thing because that's the birthplace of coffee. So Ethiopia is where coffee first grew. And so you know, we in England have a great affinity with Kenyan coffee, Ethiopian coffee. So one has to include those in one's repertoire without question. But actually coffee and tea are grown five degrees above and below the equator all the way around the world. So we're talking about Africa, America, Indonesia, Asia. Um, it, it's quite incredible how, you know, where coffee is grown. And do you actually go to these places yourself, Alice, and, and taste and decide what kind of beans you want? Well, I mean, someone's got to do it, haven't they, Ruth? It's, it's a tough job. job. <laughs> no, we've been very, very lucky. Um, we've been to many, many different countries. I mean, there are some standout ones like Colombia. Um, uh, I've been to Costa Rica, to Kenya, Sri Lanka, Vietnam, where actually coffee is grown in vast quantities generally low quality but we tend to stick to the speciality grade coffee so speciality grade if you're looking at coffee as a commodity the top five percent of coffees of speciality so that's the only coffee we sell which will have been hand-picked which will be grown at a certain altitude and have a an intrinsic quality that you wouldn't get in what one calls the sort of coffee that you might get at Starbucks or places where they have volume coffee rather than small quantities. But you do need to go and visit these places because you really get under the skin of their processing methods. Each farm does it in a different way. Each country has a different way of processing. And it's fascinating to, to just see how the country defines almost how they make their coffee. So for example, if you're in Africa where water is very short, they tend to dry their coffee cherries because it's a cherry which comes off a tree on the patios um, and then process it after that. If I'm in Colombia, where of course they're in a rainforest, there's a huge amount of water. So they soak the cherries in order to get the sort of pulp off it. So there's just different ways and you need to go and see these places to really understand what it is that they're doing. 
tell me, do you do like a, a, a videography account of the places that you go to and what you find and how they treat their coffee beans and, and, and all of that? Because it, it sounds to me like it will be a wonderful show to put on on the television, actually. Absolutely. You're completely right. I will say, though, that, you know, I'm not alone. There are a lot of people who are doing wonderful work with coffee growers, supporting them, Fair Trade, Rainforest Alliance. And there is so much material out there that I'll be honest with you and say I'm too embarrassed to put up some of my pretty crunky old videos. Uh, I mean, we do share them with the team here in, in, um, in Sussex, and they're always in. We have a lot of photographs. We do a lot of photography, and we try to write blogs, which were telling about the country. And it is interesting to do that because I think I forget or I take for granted just how interested people are in it. I think you're right because 30 years ago, we just had instant coffee and that was it. Yeah. And now there are coffee aficionados and they, they only drink coffee from Ethiopia or from Colombia or, or somewhere else. Um, and it's quite extraordinary to me that people would be that picky about their coffee. But if people wanted to be very um, snobby, if you like, about coffee, which is the best coffee? You know what, it's again, it's so um, subjective. But if one was talking about sort of the general consensus, then one would say, oh, Blue Mountain. Blue Mountain is from Jamaica. It's incredibly um, hard to process. It's very, very expensive because of its rarity value. Now, I would not necessarily say it is the best in the world. I would probably say to me, some of the best coffees are from Ethiopia. Some of the best are from places like Colombia or Costa Rica. But, you know, it depends on the farm. You, you can go to a place, you can go to China, to the Yunnan province and find really amazing coffees by farmers who are just inspirational and passionate about what they do. So I would not say necessarily this is the best coffee in the world. What I would say is that if your coffee has come from speciality grade coffee, if it's been roasted with integrity by people who know what they're doing, if it's been brewed properly, you know, there's so many processes. I always liken it to if you've got the best steak in the world and you boil it, it's going to taste awful. So you have to have the process. You know, you can't bring beautiful beans to a cafe and then someone who doesn't know how to make coffee produces a, an insipid cup. It's not the fault of the bean. So it is um, difficult. I would say it's very much you get a feeling for a taste. You might say, oh, I really love the acidity or the lemony notes of a, an Ethiopian or a Kenyan coffee. Or I love the chocolatey, slightly sort of caramelly flavour of a Guatemalan. The thing about coffee is it is I liken it to wine, to fine wine. You know, you've got Chardonnays, Merlots, Pinot Grigio, all sorts of different grape varieties. And in the hands of different producers, they taste very different. So you will know that a, a grape variety which has been produced in Chile will be very different to one that might have been produced in France. And such is the way with coffee as well. So certain farmers will produce a coffee that will taste very different because of the way it's been processed or where it's grown. But you do get what I call characteristics from countries. So I would say that a, a Guatemalan coffee tends to be chocolatey and a, an Ethiopian coffee can be quite lemony. Um, a Rwandan can almost taste of apricots. Now, one doesn't want to get too uh, highfalutin because it can sound a bit pompous. 
But that's where the excitement of speciality coffee comes from. So talk us through your location. You're you're based on the south coast of England, right? Yep, just up the road from a town called Brighton, which is quite well known, and about an hour from London. So we're right at the foot of the South Downs, about a mile from the beach, um, the British Sussex coast. And we operate from a big old Dutch barn that has been converted. Um, And, you know, about five years ago, we were simply a wholesaler selling direct to cafes and restaurants and hotels. And suddenly we started to notice people knocking on our doors saying, oh, I tried that coffee at that wonderful place. Could I buy some direct from you? And more and more people started to ask us. So I thought, well, let's, shall we open up a little sort of takeaway where we can just make some lovely coffees for people and say, you know, they can take it away. And so that's where it really started. We, we opened up the roastery to the general public. Um, it wasn't planned. It was just an opportunity that I saw. Mm. And it was one step at a time. We did it slowly, as I said, incrementally. We built a tiny little sort of room next to the roastery with a window next door to the big roaster so people could walk in and see it. And then suddenly the queues were so large that we thought, well, we, we can't carry on like this. So we converted an old, um, I think it was an old dairy into a larger cafe. And then more and more people started to come. So we converted another room so people could sit in it. And So it's sort of grown like that, almost organically. How amazing. But you've also been incredibly astute, Alice, at spotting the opportunities and maximising the opportunities that have come your way. Because not only did you open a cafe on your own premises, but you opened a second one, didn't you? Well, we did. And and this is an interesting story because this was literally five months ago, right in bang slap in the middle of the pandemic. We'd been sort of negotiating it with the, the local council, actually, on the seafront. They really wanted to improve the sort of facilities there so they approached us saying look we'd love to you to do something for us so we'd sort of said yes okay then of course covid hit and they just came to us and said you have to help us we need to get this open so we almost forced into it and i was very lucky my son who was running another place i think he was ready and i just said charlie i need your help And so he said, okay, fine. What do you want me to do? I said, I just want you to sell great coffee, lovely cake and bacon (laughs) vats because that's all people want right now. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. I think it needed to be simple because people in this pandemic have become very anxious. And when they go somewhere, I think they just want to be comforted with something that they understand they like. And really what's not to like about a beautifully made coffee or a, a lovely cup of tea. So wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it was fun doing it, actually. And it, it's doing well. People love it. They love being up on the beach because they feel safe there. Whereabouts is it exactly? The second it's one? It's in a tiny little place called Littlehampton, uh, which is just a seaside, an old fashioned seaside town. And I think now with this whole staycation thing, people are coming down, they're discovering these small little towns. And of course, when they can find a really lovely, beautifully made cup of tea or coffee, I think it makes a big difference because it is that experience. People want to have a lovely walk and then sit down in a nice place opposite the seaside and and just enjoy a nice cup of tea. It's gone from strength to strength every year, it seems. So what's next on the horizon for you? Well, that's interesting. Yes, I, I think possibly more cafes. We're being approached by people to set up cafes. 
because we're lucky, because we're effectively a vertically integrated business, which means that we produce, we manufacture, we retail and we wholesale, and obviously we have an online site, our margins are, are strong enough, are robust enough for us to be able to take a bit of a risk. Uh, so setting up a new cafe is a, is a big thing to do, but it's we now know what we're doing. But also we're going to build another shop because we set up this tiny little sort of, um, well, almost like a table in front of the roastery when the um, pandemic hit in order to carry on trading because everything was closed, as you know. But if we were selling essentials, we could stay open. So we started selling eggs and butter and bread, all the things that we were buying already for our cafe, which we'd had to close, uh, to the general public. And it started off as a tiny little sort of table and it's got bigger and bigger. And, and so now it's taken over our roastery. And, and my roastery managers just told me that I've really got to get, get it out. And, and we, <laughs> they can't carry on. And then all our customers are saying, but you can't not because I get my lovely sourdough bread from you. And what are you going to do? You can't close it. So we're going to build a purpose-built farm shop. Um, Fantastic. On, on the are these all local manufacturers and farmers and producers yeah. and bakers that, that do all your Very produce? Do you know, it's really exciting to see the way local has suddenly become the byword for cool. Yeah. You know, in the past, it was always a bit parochial. No one was interested. Now, people are going, is it local? Are you supporting the community? Why aren't you? And, and our mantra has always been that fresh is best, i.e. fresh coffee, freshly roasted coffee, loose leaf tea. But it plays into the same notion of using local suppliers because by definition, their products are fresher. You know, it's a sort of no brainer, really. And what I love to see is watching customers, suppliers come to us, you know, the local honey man, and he's now got an outlet to sell his products. He it's doesn't wonderful, have to yeah. Uh, yeah and we know the authenticity of it it's good stuff so it's nice to be able to sell fresh products but it's also nice to be able to sell products that you know have got a provenance and are actually of good quality and the other thing is that local produce hasn't had to travel many many miles and 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 cause pollution from transport you know we've got to we've got to be mindful of these things as well haven't we we really have and i would say that the younger generation are particularly aware of it. And it's really interesting to see how, for example, with tea, because obviously tea has always been in tea bags. As a nation, we're used to it. And the young are turning around and saying what their granny's saying, saying, well, why aren't you using loose leaf tea? Because this is enrobed in a paper bag, which has to be produced in a factory. Why aren't you just getting a teapot and putting... And I'm getting people of my generation coming to me saying, my, my teenage daughters told me I've got to stop having tea bags. And it's really <laughs> interesting to see. So this whole movement of local community is actually being driven in many ways by the millennial generation. That's really interesting. Yeah. We're going to go to a quick break. We'll be back in a little while. Be happy. Be inspired. This, 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 this is Inspire Radio. I've looked after my kids since they were born. Now they've got kids, I still want to look after them. I don't want them struggling to make decisions about my money or my health if I can't. So we made a lasting power of attorney. Now, if I can't speak for myself, they'll speak for me. It's a weight off for all of us, isn't it? Yes, Mum. <laughs> lasting power of attorney. Search your voice, your decision. Attention, please. We at HealthSpan would like to tell you something that, quite possibly, you didn't already know. 
Not all supplements are created equal. I know. Who'd have thought? We travel the entire globe to find the best ingredients for our vitamins and supplements. From the southern slopes of India for our turmeric to the cold, crisp seas of Greenland for our cod liver oil. Because that's the Healthspan way. Well, there you go. It's not every day you learn something new, is it? We're Healthspan. That's healthspan.co.uk. Vitamins and supplements. In store or direct to your door. How would you like to share your message or what you do with the listeners of Inspire Radio? You know, our listeners, well, they're across the world, big base here in the UK, all with an interest in health and well-being, nutrition and personal development. So if you work in any of those sectors, why not let us help you share the news about what you do to the listeners of Inspire Radio? If you'd like to get in touch, it is so, so simple. All you need to do is to email inspire at inspireradio.co.uk and we will be in touch and help you do the rest. But email again, inspire at inspireradio.co.uk. Let us help Inspire Radio share what you do with the listeners of Inspire Radio. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Hello and welcome back. I'm talking to Alice Edgecombe-Rendell about her amazing growing business, The Edge Cafe near Brighton. And so, Alice, what's the next shop going to be called? What's your farm shop going to be called? Oh, well, as ever, there's always arguments about it. Everyone has an opinion. And... The name Edgecombe's, which is my family name, Edgecombe Tea and Coffee Company, has sort of been shortened to Edge. So we have the sort of the Edge Cafe, and then we have now, we called it the Edge Mart when it was one table sort of farm shop. But I think we're going to probably call it like the, I don't know, farm shop at the edge or something. It's because the coffee shop on the seaside is called Edge by the Sea. And I think Edge is is quite a good name. It plays into all sorts of different ideas. Live life on the edge. And it's brilliant, yes. Lots of plays on words. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening actually to a podcast that you were interviewed on a while ago about leadership. And this man was interviewing you as a good example of somebody who has grown into leadership. So talk to us a bit about that. How do you see yourself as a leader? Yeah, it's always such a difficult one because, you know, we can sort of troll out all the same old platitudes of lead by example and show, you know, wisdom. And But I always remember someone saying to me when I asked them what the secret of their success was, and he just said to me, confidence. And it was a really interesting notion because, you know, one gives the impression of confidence, but often underneath it, you're seething with self-doubt or is this going to work or is it not? But I've noticed that if you do show confidence, people will follow. So if you, for example, in this whole pandemic, a lot of confusion, a lot of people coming to us saying, can we do this? Can we do that? Is it allowed to do that? Is it not? And you and I know how confused some of the messages are from the government oh, and yeah. how to interpret them. So I've always said to my team, look, this is what we're going to do. And this is my rationale behind it. And if you have any problems with it, talk to me about it. But this is our sort of take on it. And it's been incredibly interesting to see how 
confident that gives my team, well, it gives them some confidence and also customers coming to us. It's like, ah, okay, they know what they're doing. They're in charge. That's fine. We'll go with it. So I think confidence is really important. As a woman, it's always going to be, you know, harder, whatever we say, we still live in a society where, you know, certain leadership attributes tend to be about power, about, you know, decision making, but, you know, I think some of the softer qualities that are coming through are great, which is about empathy, about compassion, about cooperation. And I've seen a lot of cooperation and collaboration in this last year with companies saying, what well, what can we do to help each other? How can we work together? And that's so powerful for small businesses. It's a really, really interesting stage we're at, collaboration rather than competition. And it's, that's that's a very feminine kind of quality, isn't it? It is really, because, I mean, I've seen this. I've got four boys who are all now grown up. But when they were growing up, it was always about negotiation, trying to sort out, you know, each person's sort of uh, needs and wants. And it was a, a case of sort of, you know, consensus, uh, right, you're going to have to compromise on that area. How can we work to make this work for all of us? So, yeah, I think it makes sense. You know, I really do. And the other thing, of course, is as a leader, you have to have the right team around you. So I know for a fact that as well as taking on other people, obviously, to work in your expanding business, you have a particular interest in a certain section of society that you want to bring into your business. So talk to us a bit about that. Yes. I mean, well, first of all, there's two particular passions I have. One is bringing on young people. And I think that's going to be more and more important in the next few years. And the other one is to uh, help uh, offenders, offenders who are in prison. Now, I will be honest and say the reason that happens is that we happen to be located a mile from an open prison. Um, And in the last 30 years, we've worked with um, offenders who've come to work with us. And it's been interesting to see how the policies of the prison dictate how successful it is. When we have governors who are very enlightened, who want to make it work, it is remarkable how we can change people's lives. Sometimes there have been governors who've said, locked it down and said, no, we don't want this to happen. Prisoners can't go out into the community. I think that's to their detriment. But in the last few years, we've had a really positive program of men coming to us, working with us as baristas, being trained, helping out in all sorts of different parts of the business. Some of them have been driving, some of them. And it's more about just giving trust. So saying to them, right, this is what we expect. And I think when you're in a small team, there's nowhere to hide. So these men are given opportunities and they're expected to deliver because they're part of the team and you don't let down your team members. And it's been really interesting to see how they've embraced that. And, you know, it gives them the chance to earn a living because we pay them a wage. Um, The way it works is that the prison takes a part of that, a portion for that to keep the program going, and then they save the rest. So when they are finally released, one of the biggest problems that prisoners have or offenders have is that they don't have any money. So they don't know where to start. Mm. But if they've come out with three or four thousand pounds or what that is, um, it really makes a difference. So it's a practical notion as well as a, a very important sense that they've actually been given some trust that people need their skills 
um, and that they can walk away having actually rehabilitated themselves to a certain extent in society. And when they are released, do any of them end up working with you full time? Well, most of them tend to come from London. I don't know why that is, but so a lot of them go back to their family homes, but they keep in touch. And, um, you know, even one set up his own coffee shop, funnily enough. And so we were there to oh, help. Really? Him. So, uh, but they do keep in touch. And I genuinely feel that they have been, uh, they've benefited from that sense of being in a small business because a small business is effectively like a family. Everyone pulls for each other. You know, we've gone from four people five years ago, and there's 25 of us now, which has been for us huge growth. And managing that has been not necessarily that easy, but it's been interesting to see how they've helped us do that. You know, they've been a bonus to us as well as they brought skills that possibly, you know, we wouldn't have had. I mean, one of them built a, an outhouse for us where customers can sit when it's very sunny and they sit under the sun. And um, he built it because he was an ex-roofer. So it, it gave him a huge amount of pride. And it was a practical skill that we struggled to find someone to do for us. That's incredible. So not only do you provide a service for the local community, but you also help to rehabilitate people. What's next on your to-do list, Alice? Oh, crumbs, Ruth, honestly. It's so difficult because I've always said to everyone, I remember about a year ago, I said, right, shoot me if I take on another project. Since when I've got about three on the go. I think I've, I'm someone who, when you see an opportunity, it's almost as if, well, if I don't do that, I'd be a fool. And I do have to temper it. But where I see the projects, the opportunities are bringing on young people. So we've got young people who are working with us, all of whom are local people. And some of them are learning how to roast. Some of them are learning marketing skills. I feel very passionately about this because I think, especially in the hospitality industry, there was a lot of talk when this whole Brexit thing came that we'd never be able to find the staff because they all came from abroad and our homegrown talent isn't there. And I actually challenge that and say, so much of it comes down to the employer. If you're not prepared to train young people, not prepared to put a bit of effort and time and money to say, we're going to give you that leg up. Well, you you don't deserve, I think, to be in business because I think we have got to. We've got a duty to really give these young people a leg up. None, I mean, more now than ever. And I really, I don't know, I get very angry when hospitality outlets talk about how useless the local youth are. I think it's absolutely rubbish. I think it's down to us as employers to really give them a leap of faith and and give them some proper training and I see how quickly this happens you know we've got a wonderful person our operations manager Paul who's come from a large company from Ikea and from Apple and he's got that embedded in him this idea of training and developing people and it's so powerful and I think as a small business we're incredibly fortunate because most small businesses don't have that sort of skill Mm. it's really hard to get human resources right it really is But I think also, Alice, you have clearly created a working environment where people are actually really happy and they want to come and join in and pitch in and do whatever is necessary to make it work because of your passion and enthusiasm. 
It certainly helps, Ruth. I think if you don't have that passion at the top, it will come through. Um, and it has to be genuine. I mean, I genuinely am one of those sad people that gets excited when I see a new blend of coffee. I just love it. Um, and so, but if you don't have that passion, like you, Ruth, you have your own passions of things and people's eyes light up, don't they, when they're of interest? They do. Um, they do. Yes. And they're a good bunch. I, we've got a, I always say that to my husband, Chris. Uh, I say, gosh, we've got a good bunch of people. And I think genuinely coffee and tea is an interesting product in the sense that people, it makes them happy. So it's a much easier sell, as it were, when you're saying come and join us in a roastery and our cafe. You know, people love that. Yes, because it's it's a daily treat, isn't it? It's 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 not going to break the bank. So yeah. even if you don't have a job at the moment, you can generally afford a nice cup of coffee once in a while. Absolutely, and also a lot of our um, business is designed around training people. So we have a training room here, and if people want to learn how to make a good cup of coffee, we're here to help them, uh, and that's really powerful because it just—it's an educational sort of process. So they come away having learned about coffee and about tea. I mean, tea is fascinating, uh, and you know how it comes, where it comes from, and how it's processed. And I think it gives people a bit of confidence so that they can then talk to other people about coffee and how to make it and you know it's sort of embedded in our lives isn't it really the coffee culture well it is now yes but uh, where do you see yourself in say 10 years time Alice because it, it sounds like you're not stopping at any any time soon well it's interesting because I've always had a mentor and I would urge anyone who wants to set out in their own business to find people who've got experience, who have been in business, who want to share some advice. And it's just having someone to sort of just touch base with. And in fact, my mentor said to me not long ago, right, it's it's about time you start to think about your exit plan. I said, I don't, I don't have an exit plan. He said, well, you know, you're knocking on a bit, which is true. Um, you know, I'm a grandmother now of four. And he said, you have to have some plan. Even if you don't plan to sell your business, you must slowly work out a plan for succession. And do you know what? It's one of the hardest things to do um, because you are so, your business and your life and everything is so much, you know, part of yourself that to move away from it, I think it takes time. So I have what I call a five-year plan, which is to slowly bring in layers of management who I can trust, who can take over. I personally would never want to sell my business because I think it's one that we can continue being involved in for many years. We can travel, we can go to the coffee estates and I can add value in that respect. Uh, but also it's so much easier now with a business to like you and I, we can Zoom each other, we can work remotely. On my phone, I can look at my accounts, my figures, my, you know, anything I want to is there at the touch of a button. So you don't have to be in that office always behind your desk to run your business. And I think that's a very freeing thing. That's why it's so lovely to see so many young entrepreneurs, you know, really embracing the digital world and, and how to run a business. Well, you've got amazing energy, Alice. You always have. <laughs> and um, so I hope it, it continues well into you know, the next decade. But if people want to look you up and see what wonderful services and products you provide, where do they find you? Well, inevitably online. Um, we do have quite a strong Instagram presence as well. And obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. 
So I do have a LinkedIn um, site. And I'm always delighted to, to reach out to people and talk to them. And my obviously my email um, online, you can go to our website, which is edgecombs, www.edgecombs.co.uk. It's a bit of an awkward one to spell edgecombs. It's a, a Cornish name, actually. And uh, it, it uh, comes from Plymouth, Edgecombe, the Earl of Edgecombe, I believe. We're not nearly as posh as that now, but I think about sort of 10 centuries ago it was. <laughs> Um, so yes, yeah, so that's the company, edgecombs.co.uk, and uh, you can see all the stuff that goes on. There's rather a nice video of us of how we started and where we are. But we're real people, you know, we exist. Yes, absolutely. And what is your Instagram? Uh, Instagram.com forward slash edgecombs coffee and tea. So but it should come up quite easily. But I always say if you can't find us, just Google roasteries in Sussex and generally we, we will come up. Oh, thank well, you for that. <laughs> we wish you all the very best with your plans. Oh, then you, you're, you're going from strength to strength, clearly. So the pandemic has not knocked you back at all, has it? No, it hasn't. And I think a lot of businesses actually out of great change, you do get a sort of a rebirth of other areas and that rebirth of small local family independently run business is definitely here to stay and that can't be a bad thing no not at all so we wish you all the best alice and uh good really? luck with the edge, <laughs> the oh, edge. lovely to talk to you as ever you too you too Cheerio. bye-bye be happy be inspired this is inspire radio inspire radio time for another inspirational quote from inspire radio be happy be inspired. Hi, this is Isabella. I would like to share one of my favourite motivational quotes. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Nelson Mandela. Thanks for listening to Inspire Radio. Be happy, be inspired. This, 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 this is Inspire Radio. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Maybe you would like to join us as a guest on Inspire Radio. Maybe you'd like to feature on our Inspire Radio directory. If you would and you'd like to get in touch, then simply enter your details on the contact page at inspireradio.co.uk. Remember to give our Facebook page a like as well at Inspire Radio UK. And once again, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Inspire Radio. And have the best day you possibly can. Be happy, be inspired. The Inspire Radio podcast is produced and presented by the team at Inspire Radio. Copyright applies. For more information about Inspire Radio, visit inspireradio.co.uk or if you'd like to download our free app for the Android phone, just go to your Google Play Store and search for Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio.